0: Here at Doxito Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, O Hatfield, as we are all in our homes and yet still together in one spirit. So let's open up our Bibles to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, as we are still in the same series and we're going to be reading once again from verse 31. Now, when we initially moved here to Pretoria, we actually moved into this very old townhouse complex. It was built in 1976. So, I mean, that place has got some stories to tell, as you can imagine. But the most beautiful part of living in this space has been the fact that if you go up to the main bedroom on the second floor, you have the most incredible view of Pretoria. Even the name of this townhouse complex signifies the fact that it's been put on a high hill It's got this illuminating vision. And so, when I was still traveling back and forth between Bloom and Pretoria as we were establishing the church, that very first evening that I slept in this room, I woke up as the sun was rising and I was stunned by the view. It was so incredible. You know, I had driven through Pretoria many times and, you know, moved in and around it and walked in the streets, but I'd never seen almost the beauty and the glory of the full picture. It was such a moment of clarity. And in the same sense, in this series that we're busy with, as we're leading up to Easter called Death to Life, we are doing exactly the same thing because we are looking at the passage that now for centuries, whether it's Bible scholars or pastors or theologians or just Christians of every stripe and kind and age, many have said that if there were ever to be a high point in the Bible, a high hill, it would be Romans chapter 8. And as we look at it, the reason why it's called that is because, as Martin Luther would say, it's the clearest gospel, good news of all. It's the clearest view, the most illuminating view that we have of who God is and what He's done in Jesus Christ. And so as we hike up this hill in this series, it's for this simple reason. We want to migrate away from, Paul is trying to migrate people away From the two poles, the one is called emotional thinking. It's where my emotions, as they ebb and flow, they lead me and they challenge me to lead us away from that, but also away from circumstantial thinking, where my circumstances are determining my joy and my passion and my connection to God. And he's leading us away from those things to something called gospel thinking, good news thinking, which means that I am not ignoring or I am in denial of all the difficult things in my life. But when those things come, I'm asking God, God, take me up to the high hill of a higher vision, a more illuminating version of the truth, so that I can boldly proclaim that even in this season, the truth remains the truth. So as with every week, we're going to read the whole passage together. So open your Bible and make sure that you read with me from verse 31. Paul says, What then are we to say about these things? In other words, the gospel of Jesus. If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have to say amen when you read that. It's so powerful. Can a passage so strengthen us, so secure us in the love of God? And we've been saying that the key to understanding this text, our key passage, as it were, are these two verses, 37 and 38, where Paul says, We are more than conquerors. How? Through him, Jesus, who loved us. It's not that we have this great track record of performance, that we suddenly started loving God out of thin air. No, it's that God came to display his love for us in Jesus. And from that thing, it says in verse 38 that paul says i'm persuaded i 'm convinced then from that that nothing in heaven on earth or beyond can ever separate me from the love of Christ that is a growing persuasion that conviction is not something you just settle one day i 'm just perfectly persuaded of god's love i 'm perfectly convinced no life is tough we fail sometimes we make mistakes, we stumble, we sin, we struggle but It is growing in this conviction, this persuasion that it is not what we have done or can do. It's what God has done. That's what Easter is about. It's not our track record or performance. It's not what we bring to the table. It's what God has done in Jesus. That is what Easter is all about. It's death to life forever in Christ. That is Easter. And so we said last week that, that when the, the reality of opposition comes, then we can know that God has already proven His love for us in Christ. When the sting of accusation comes, we said God has already spoken His truth over us in Christ. And now in our third week, we're saying as we read verse 34, it says this, Who is the one who condemns? condemnation. We're saying that when the feelings of condemnation come upon us, we can know that God has already given us eternal life in Christ. It doesn't matter whether it's the reality of opposition, whether it's the sting of accusation like last week, whether it's those feelings of condemnation, even the sense of separation we will be looking at, None of those things can change what God has done. It's the high hill of the truth of God in Jesus Christ. So let's look at this this passage. That's so powerful. And we're going to see there are two truths that we have to grasp, that we have to hold on to as we hike up the hill. And the first is this, and it's so beautiful. Truth number one is that God knows everything about you, and yet he's chosen to love you still. God knows everything about me, and yet He's chosen to love me still in Christ. So read with me, verse 34, it says, who is the one who condemns? Who? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, He's been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and He intercedes for us. He is the one who intercedes before God for us. You know, our son Benjamin, when he was probably two years old, we were still potty training him, and every now and then he would have a bit of a slip up. It was, it was a work in progress. And so this one afternoon, I'm alone with the kids at home, and suddenly it's quiet. And as a parent, you know, when it's quiet, there's trouble. So I started running around the house, and I'm like, where are you? And I'm calling out Benjamin's name. And then I hear this little noise coming from the bathroom. And so I go to the bathroom, and I knock, and I, and I say, Benjamin. And, and he shouts out. I just hear this little sh- shrill voice, this, this, this uncertain voice, saying, no, don't come in. And now I'm really worried. So I open up the door. And as I opened, he says, no, don't come in. And when I open the door, you know what I see? You see, what happened is my son, Benjamin, he was so excited. He'd been playing so much that he kind of lost track of everything And he soiled himself fully. And so I opened the door and I find my two-year-old standing there in the basin trying to wash his own underpants. And he's not even doing a very good job at it because on the floor, on the walls, in the basin, there is just trouble everywhere. Yet in that moment, I could see in his eyes those feelings of condemnation had entered in. I'm so bad. I'm such a failure. I'm not worthy. I haven't lived up. He didn't understand the heart of his own dad even yet. Friends, I want to say the good news gospel of Jesus is not that we were down and out in life. And then when we realized we, we, you know, we had to make a change, we suddenly just decided, well, now I'm going to just come before God. I'm going to sort out my life. I'm going to turn over you know, a new page, or I'm going to pull myself up by my, by my bootstraps and, and make sure that I just come and present myself before God as clean and pure and holy. And we made it work. You know, such a success story. That's not the good news. The good news is not that we came to find God, but that God came to find us In the middle of our mess and destruction and rebellion and sin and brokenness and failure, He came to find us as a good Father. He came in Jesus Christ, God did, and He died for us. He redeemed us, saved us, renewed us. And it's putting our faith in what He has done that shifts that in our hearts. When the condemnation comes, that I feel I'm not worthy, God. I'm not doing this in the right way. I don't even know if I am a Christian. I don't even know if I'm living up to your standards, God. I feel so condemned. It's in that moment that I have to, if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, as Lord and Savior, you have to hold on to the truth of what he says, that he knows everything about us, every detail, past, present, and future, and he has already chosen in Jesus to say yes to us. I love almost the confidence that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 10 verse 26. It's a moment where he's about to send out his disciples And he says to them this, Therefore, don't be afraid of them. Don't have fear in your heart. Why? Because there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Jesus is speaking about the end of all things and he says that day when God wraps up this whole thing that we call life or when we go to him when when he finally comes to merge heaven and earth again in the new creation he says on that day not a single detail about our lives will remain hidden and some of you think that's terrifying I don't want everyone I don't want God to know the intimate details of my heart my failings I don't want them to know the way that I struggle and and stumble and sin. But Jesus says, if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, you don't have to have a single iota of fear in that moment, of uncertainty or of condemnation. Why? Because God has already taken note of all of that in your life. And yet Jesus said on the cross, I pay for it all. That's the beauty of Of Easter. But the second truth is this, that God has dealt decisively with sin in Christ Jesus. He has not just managed sin. He's not set it aside for a while. He's trying to, you know, to figure it out. He has dealt with our sin, death, and brokenness decisively in Jesus. Paul says in verse 34, let's read it again together. He says, who is the one who condemns? And highlight this, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. It means that he has not just taken our sin, death, and brokenness to the grave. He's not just dealt with it, but he was raised as well as a sign. Of a, it's as a symbol to say that this is what's going to be true of you. If you are merged with God in union again through faith, putting your trust in Jesus alone, not only has your sin been dealt with, but you are raised to life forever in Jesus. That's such an incredible truth. God has dealt with sin. So let me give you a couple of implications of that. The first is that God has freed us from the power of sin. He's freed us from the power of sin. Romans 8 verse 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And what does it set us free from? From the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we have been set free through Christ from the law of sin and death. You see, sin is not only, it's not only an action, this this idea of rebellion, of sin, of going against the will and and the wholeness of God. It's It's not just something you do. Sin is also an authority. It's a power. It's something that rules over you. It's something that we are all born under. And this authority over us, the Bible says Jesus came to deal with it. He has toppled sin, He has turned it over, He has broken the power of sin over the lives of every single Christian. You know, Shay and I, my wife, we once before we had kids, we were driving to the beach, and Shay's dad, he's an engineer. And so part of his job is to determine where all the different, you know, signals and, and, and signs and, and, and spaces of the road that we have to obey, where those things go and, and how they're supposed to be placed. And at that stage of my life, I was so blase. I didn't care at all about, you know, the rules of the road. So I would just constantly tell her, look at this, there's like a solid line. What's even the point of this? And I would drive straight over it, very defiant. And then uh, she would be angry, of course. And so this one moment again, we're driving and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm on my high horse and I'm like, look, look, look at this. Why isn't this even here? And I'm driving over it again. And as I do that, you know who's waiting for me just on the horizon under the bridge? It's one of our good friends, the traffic officer. And so he's there's such a friendly guy. He says, no, don't, don't be in a rush come and spend some time with me, you know, come and just, let's just have a, a, a moment together. And he writes me this beautiful letter, it's worth a thousand rand in fact, and he gifts it to me, he says, you can take it. You know, the reason why I had to turn off to the side of the road, the reason why I had to stop, the reason I had to pay that fine was because I am under authority when it comes to the laws of our country. That traffic officer is doing his job And he has authority over me in that moment. You can imagine the the dead silence and awkwardness that reigned in our car as I stepped back into it. Because my wife had to use every ounce of self-control. Not to say, I told you so. But the fact is that authority reigns over me in that moment. And the Bible says that sin is this authority that reigns and rules over every single human heart. But in Jesus, that authority has been broken. See, the old management has been thrown out and Jesus comes in with His law of the Spirit and of love. When we got joined to Jesus, we have been joined to the new power, the new authority of His Spirit and His life and His love. Probably the the word in the Greek used most often in the New Testament for sin is this word hamartia, hamartia. Which in the context often meant that archers, as they would in the ancient Eastern context, when they would shoot for their target, people would shout out hamartia, because it means to miss the mark. Sometimes you would not actually succeed. And what it's saying is that when this power of sin is reigning over your life, as it is with every single person not in Christ, it means we cannot fulfill the The created goal that God had in mind with us. We cannot fulfill the image-bearing destiny that God has for us. We are missing the mark. But as we are joined to Jesus and His life, death, and resurrection, what becomes true of us is true of Him. And what's true of Him is true of us. It's this exchange. God takes our sin, death, and brokenness, and He, He gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it upon Himself, and He takes it to the grave, and He conquers over it. And we receive that conquering victory. Now we no longer have to miss the mark. We can fully walk in the authority and the power and the love and the life that the Holy Spirit gives to us, what God had in mind. He has dealt with the power of sin. But not only that, God has freed us, not just from the power, but from the consequences of sin, See, sin is not just a power, but when sin takes hold in human hearts, there are consequences to it. And I love how our global leader of the Docs family, Alan Platt, he would always put it like this. He would say there are these three things, three consequences, guilt, shame, and pain that enter into the heart, the life of every single person. See, guilt is the sense that I've done something wrong. I failed. I have, I've missed it. I've not lived up to the standard. And people of every stripe, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be secular. You can be spiritual. You can be, you can be a Hindu. You can be a Buddhist. Um, it doesn't really matter. You cannot believe in any of that. And still you live as a person with this deep sense of failure. There's guilt. But more than that, there's shame. See, guilt is the, the feeling that I've done something wrong in the deepest depth of my heart. But shame, it's not just that I've done something, it's that I am wrong. It's a sense of wrongness. It's the sense that I am broken, that I am filthy, that I am not worth it. To be guilt-ridden, to be dirty, to be broken, not being good enough. But then finally, it's not just guilt and shame, but there's pain. You see, when, when sin reigns in my life, I live like that. And then I start bringing pain into other people's lives, and they bring pain into my life. It's a broken existence. No one is exempt from it. But amazingly, listen to what happens when Jesus enters into our lives, when we put our faith in Him, what He does. He meets those things right head on. It says in, in Romans 5, 17, Since by one man's trespass, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man. But how much more, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness, that means right standing before God, reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So he's saying that, yes, it's true that every single person, no matter who you are, you wrestle with guilt, shame, and pain, but in Jesus Christ, when we are united with him, guilt, shame, and pain is replaced with grace, righteousness, and reigning or ruling in Jesus. Those are swapped out, and I no longer live with the consequences of my sin but I live in the new reality of what God has done in Jesus. He says it's how much more. It's not that we are just put back onto the standard of Adam. He says it far surpasses that failure and brokenness and now we are filled with God's spirit. We are filled with grace and righteousness and we reign with God. It's a position of authority under him that we receive. And you know, I love This thought, because it stimulates my thinking. There's a university professor at Duke University in America called Jane Castell, and she does research on poverty. And she says that we often think poverty is just a a practical state of being. You know, you fall into poverty, and that's a reality. You're living from maybe meal to meal, and you're struggling. It's all practical. It's all financial. But her research has shown that that poverty is not just a practical or financial reality. Poverty actually changes us. It affects us. It becomes a reality. It changes the very brain chemistry of your being. And in the same way, sin is a consequence. It affects us. It changes us. But the good news is that in Jesus, God has dealt with the consequences of our sin. We have a new reality that we live from. And finally, it's not just that He's dealt with the power and the consequences of our sin, but that He has freed us from the identity of sin. He's freed us from the identity of sin. You see, every single person on earth is trying their best to cobble together some kind of identity and just feeling that you are okay, that I'm worth it, that I, that I am worth something, that I succeed, that I have intrinsic value. Every person is trying to do that, no matter your faith background. And people go about this life and they bounce between all these different things, trying to just to honor themselves and to make something worthy of who they are. They, and people go, you know, from, from business to business and success And they go from bottle to bottle in addiction. And they go from bed to bed in sexuality. And they try and put together this identity, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jim Carrey, the famous actor and comedian, once said, I wish everyone could become wildly wealthy, famous, and fulfill all their dreams so they too can know that those things are not the answer. I was recently listening to a pastor in America who actually had Ben Affleck, the the director and actor. He had him on their stage for an interview. And he was saying, because in the last couple of years, he has had an amazing meeting with God through Jesus. And he said in his life, every single time he was, you know, just about to reach this next horizon of success, of of power, of influence in Hollywood, of of financial security, of, of sexual promiscuity. He says the moment that he would get there, The horizon would just shift again. You never actually got there. Every time you would conquer the mountain, you would feel inferior and empty once again. There's an identity issue. And listen how different this is compared to what Galatians 3.27 says of what happens in Jesus. It says, For those of you who were baptized, in other words, submerged, into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And he says, therefore, there is now no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying that these minor identities of gender or ethnicity, that they don't matter. Those things are true. Your ethnic reality is still the case. But he says there is a higher reality that sits in, a higher identity That supersedes all other identities and it means that we are one in Christ. That means that my identity now becomes what Jesus has done and that cannot be changed. The good news is not firstly that we cannot. The good news firstly is that God did and that we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The first time I ever went To renew my license and they had finally at that stage I was so excited they had moved over from you know just a paper system where you're filling in all these papers and forms to an electronic system where you would just scan your thumbprint and they would know exactly who you are and things would get processed so much easier I remember sitting there just thinking this is so great you know how much time are you wasting just filling in these forms but as I was scanning my finger this this thought just dropped in my heart you know, in this moment, I can now go and I can change my diet. You know, I can drive my car off a hill. I can be a good or a bad parent. I can do all those things, but it would not change a single ounce of truth about who I am. It's it's almost like it's ingrained into my fingerprint. God is saying, that when we are united with Him through Christ, the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit is pressed in upon us. Our identity changes forever. And we are no longer our past or what we have done or our insecurities. When the condemnation comes, God, I don't think I'm enough. I haven't done enough. I'm not sure if I am enough. God, have I impressed you? Am I keeping on track? When all those things come and I feel that I'm condemned in my own thoughts, I feel I'm condemned in my performance, I have to come to the truth. No, God has dealt with, he has given me a new identity in Jesus. So to finish off, years ago, Shane and I went to a wedding um, in KZN and we went to this place who had this incredible gorge swing. It's this crazy thing. You, You strap in together, you step off this platform and you literally swing in this massive gorge. And as the guy was strapping us in, you know, it's, it's kind of part of his shtick. So they want to make you a bit afraid. So he starts saying things like, you know, it's, it's only my third day on the job. I'm not too sure yet about, you know, these knots. I'm, I'm still struggling with them a bit. I haven't really gotten all of it down. Uh, I'm not sure if the length of the rope is exactly the same. You know, all of that. And so in the beginning, you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're just trying to, make, you know, make us fearful. But by the end, we were like a bit freaked out. And I think you could sense it because, He just changed his tone and he said, you know what guys, actually I've been here for years. I know exactly what I'm doing and you are going to enjoy it. Go for it. And in the same sense, it's almost that voice of truth. What is the voice that I live from? Because listen to what Jesus says in John 3, 17. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus has not come to ultimately condemn us. He is inviting us to come and find life in him. And so when those feelings of condemnation touch our heart, we say with Paul, no. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And when the reality of opposition is there, when the sting of accusation comes, when the feelings of condemnation are in my life, or when even that sense of separation between me and God comes into my heart, I can say, no, it's not the truth, God, as I stand upon the high hill of your good news gospel. No, Easter is not about what I have done, but what Christ has done. No, it is death to life in Christ, forever. So let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, I simply pray for every person in Doxer Headfield, I pray for anyone listening this morning, that we would find ultimate identity, satisfaction, truth, and life in you alone. God, may we live from the high hill truth of what you've done for us in Jesus. May it not just become a verse or an intellectual exercise, but a truth that we live from. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.